Welcome to the Blip Podcast, where we help agents build successful agencies. Today I had on Rob Galbraith, and he wrote the book, The End of Insurance as We Know It. Rob has been in the insurance industry for over 20 years, and in his book, he lays out how the industry became what it is today, and what he sees as the biggest threats to its current model. So keep in mind that a threat to the way something currently is done doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, the threat, it just means that things will probably change and we will have to adapt. But if there's one thing that's constant in business today, it's that change is inevitable. So with that in mind, let's get into it. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by our anti-aggregator, Blue Lion Insurance Partners, or BLIP for short. So check out what we're doing, bluelionsuranceparners.com. Now, without further delay, let's get into it. Here's my discussion with Rob Dalton. So, Rob, what's happening, dude? Josh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry to everybody uh, coming down to the executive level with the boss man. So, <laughs> life happens sometimes. So, appreciate your patience, Josh. Appreciate the audience patience. Thank you guys for hanging oh, out. I'm, I'm glad we made it on time. So, um, yeah, everyone listening, welcome to the Blip Podcast, where we help agents build successful agencies. Um, I'm Josh Berg, your host, and if you're interested in what we're doing, you can check it out at bluelineinsurancepartners.com. If you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast or wherever you listen to it, YouTube, um, wherever, um, please do so. Subscribe, like, comment, really helps us reach more people. And today, I have Rob Galbraith on. And Rob, you have a nickname, the most interesting man in insurance, which I'd love to hear how that came about. Um, why don't we start with that? Welcome to the show, man. Sure. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, again, Josh, thanks for having me on and appreciate all your your patience with the Gen X here trying to <laughs> download the app frantically and figure out this Facebook Live thing to get on. So um, yeah, so, so uh, like many folks, I kind of fell into insurance. Um, I... Uh, uh, originally born and raised in Michigan, where I'm uh, talking to you from today. Um, I went to Michigan State, just down the road uh, from here. And uh, uh, but I, I went to San Antonio, Texas, for a girl. <laughs> and uh, nice. 20-some years later, I'm still there. Oh, good. Uh, not well, married, did it work out? Married. Yeah. Well, oh. I didn't. Didn't got married. I uh, had a son. Got divorced. We still have a good relationship. But I'm remarried okay. now, and and uh, we've got three kids, and uh, just a wonderful, you know, blended family, and. So it was awesome. Uh, I brought in a dog to the relationship, but she bought three cats. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> kind of every, nice. truly, truly blunt in all sense of the world. So uh, we'll be married 10 years later this year. So um, a buddy of mine had said, hey, Rob, whatever you do going down to San Antonio, you know, try to get on with a company called USA. They're a great company. They insure military members and their families. He was an Air Force brat. So that's kind of how he knew about it and had gone to high okay. school and uh, college in San Antonio. And guys, I know this is going to sound like dinosaur but it was mid-90s, like Monitor just, was just a first site that was kind of up there where you could search for a job remote and all that. Like, it was much harder to find a job when you didn't live in that location. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I moved down, and I temped there, and then I left, and I had the opportunity to come back. And uh, so, great 20-year career at USA, bounced around quite a bit, ended up kind of a failed actuary, to be honest with you, and, and ended up in the underwriting department and was there for many years and had different roles. And uh, where the most interesting man in insurance kind of came from was uh, the last five or six years at USA, I spent uh, much of that time on catastrophe underwriting. So writing uh, homeowners business and wildfire prone areas, hurricane prone areas, lava flow, earthquakes, hail, you name it. And so 
Um, you know, part of that is kind of traditional underwriting, but then part of it was like, I wanted to speak to the scientists directly and the meteorologists and the experts that really knew this and could kind of talk to the data and the modeling and the science behind like why one house is totally demolished and the house right next to it is barely got a scratch, right? Maybe yeah. missing shingle or two. And, and that was always kind of fascinating to me as an underwriter trying to make risk-based selections, right? And deciding where to write and where not to write, like this was a very much of interest. So um, I actually got to go in the helicopter with the chief of police for San Diego and kind of fly around and have them kind of explain to me you know, their risk from the air. And I got to go chase hailstorms in the, uh, the plain states for a week with the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. And it was weird to drive into the dark clouds instead of away from the dark clouds. But they were, they were trying to get observed hail. If you think about it, like they're trying to replicate hail in their research lab hitting roofs and other structures so they can see, you know, is this siding good or not? Is this roof material good or not? But oh, yeah. hail like melts, like there's actually not a lot of data or research on hail and observations. And, you know, we use steel balls and we use like ice cubes that you're making in your fridge, none of which are like real hail, right? So going out and kind of chasing these storms and deploying probes and trying to get the hell out of the way or the storm came <laughs> over and then going back and like trying to hurry and collect the hail and measure it and use calipers and all that, right? It's really cool. And I just had a lot of experiences like that. Um, been on an earthquake, been on the big island when the lava flow was happening, like it was in the, the national park like a day or two before, before it closed down for like nine months because of all this lava flow wow. and stuff. So just, um, I tell people I'm not personally very interesting, but I've had just some amazing experiences because of my jobs and in insurance that that's kind of what led Nick Lamparelli to give me that nickname of the most interesting man in insurance. <laughs> well, so um, would you mind tilting uh, your camera up just a little? Yep. Sorry about that. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so yeah, you not only are you fairly well known in insurance, but it, I, from what I've read, you're fairly well known in the weather industry or whatever you even call that as well because of all that probably right yeah absolutely so and i got lucky you know at, at usa um, um actually it's kind of a quick funny story so we had a local weatherman that's been around for a long time and he's really well known nationally he's won several major national awards his name is alex garcia and so he's our local fox news weatherman it has been for 20 some years right and he'd reached out to USA because he was starting a conference on severe weather and wanted somebody to come speak. And it was on a Saturday, so nobody wanted to go talk. So I was like, sure, I'll go do it, right? And kind of through that, like, I just met a lot of other broadcast meteorologists. And he had another conference that was much bigger that was in South Padre that was solely focused on hurricanes, not severe weather broadly or whatnot. And so I ended up having the opportunity to do a ton of interviews, some live TV interviews where I'm kind of the top of the new news, other you know, hurricane specials where I would kind of talk at length on insurance and whatnot. And uh, so media folks kind of knew, like, if you want to quote or you want to you know, either be on camera, it could be in print or whatever, like go to Rob, he'll give you some good, good, you know, intel. Um, and I'll never forget, there was one broadcast meteorologist that I won't rat or add, but uh, there was a hurricane coming on shore, Hurricane Harvey, and she called and she's like, hey, uh, I just want to know, like, what is storm surge exactly? Like, she was too embarrassed to kind of ask any of her friends because she should probably know. And so I'm like, okay, here's what it is. It's that wall of water that's <laughs> pushed ashore or whatever, you know, and she's like, okay, thanks, you know, I'll go on air and I'll share that, so... Nice. Um, yeah, it's kind of a cool, yeah, way, I guess, to get some notoriety. So I, I, I uh, people tell me I'm insurance famous, so I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So welcome to the show. We've had a lot of in insurance famous people on here. Um, but so you authored the book, The End of Insurance as We Know It. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on today, because, you know, I think there's a lot of 
for agency owners, at least on the independent side, I'm not sure about the captive side, but on the independent side, there's a lot of agency owners who have um, a lot of anxiety around the future of the industry. Me being one of them because it seems so uncertain. And, um, you know, this seems to be right in your wheelhouse. I mean, you wrote a book on it, which I read and is super thorough. Uh, if you ever want to geek out on this, like yes, you need to pick up this book and read it. Um, yeah, you, it's not a book really that I feel like you can listen to very well either. I feel like it's something you really would have to read and digest. Um, but anyway, so you authored this book. Who who was your target audience with this? Great question, Josh. So I got this question a lot. Uh, and so, you know, being on the carrier side for 20 plus years, uh, writing the book, I almost felt like a startup because everyone kept asking me, what's your pitch? What's your pitch? And I kept yeah. telling them, well, it's really, you know, I, I, I said this the other day and I think it stuck to a couple of people. It's like carriers are from Venus and InsurTechs are from Mars and we're trying <laughs> to like, you know, talk to and and like, oh my God, you know, I totally get mm-hmm. that. And it was just like, um, I saw all this tech, you know, I, I was very fortunate to be in a position to see a lot of this emerging technology, just mind blowing type stuff. Many of it we use in our daily life, but there's so much more, um, in the insurance space and it's, it's definitely coming, right? There's definitely some challenges, but, um, there's going to be just a sea of stuff coming over the next decade that I don't think a lot of people really appreciated. And so for, um, the traditional insurance side, I'll call them, that could be agents, that could be carriers, that could be, uh, TPAs, claims adjusters, like you name it, right? Um, our world will change. And so we need to be prepared for that. So I, I kind of call it a wake up call really. Right. Yeah. And I know every industry said that, right. And all that and insurance were different, we're regulated, what, you know, but, but it is going to come on the insure tech side uh, with startups, like founders, a lot of entrepreneurs that are not familiar with insurance that are coming to this space um, and investors, uh, um, they, they see opportunities. So Daniel Schreiber, who is the founder of Lemonade um, kind of said it best on a podcast that he did. He said, Three things attracted to me insurance. It's massive, right? It's a huge industry measured in trillions right. of dollars, right? It is uh, unloved, right? So consumers don't necessarily, it's not their favorite thing. They don't love the product. They may not remember who their carrier even is. Hopefully they right, know who their right. agent is, right? Um, and it's unspoiled by innovation. And I love that phrase, unspoiled by innovation, right? And so as somebody kind of coming in as an entrepreneur looking to, you know, where can I have an impact? Um, that's why they picked Lemonade. That's why they picked the insurance space. Um, but, you know, a lot of these people coming in, they don't know the first thing about insurance. And insurance is different, right, for a variety of reasons, many of which we know that are kind of in the industry. And so I wanted right. to kind of help them with the lingo. I even have a gloss ratio. What's a loss ratio, right? What's an expense ratio? What's frequency? Right. What's severity? Um, what is an agent? What do they do, right? What's independent versus exclusive or you know, captive agent and, and stuff like that. So um, it's almost like a how-to, right, for them of like, yep. hey, come on board. The water's fine. And um, kind of just give them a lay of the land of here are the problems. Here's the terminology. Here's why we haven't necessarily seen this disruption yet, right? Yeah. Um, is that phrase loosely? But, um, yeah, you know, here's some ways that I think that um, uh, we could really benefit from technology and innovation in our industry. So um, I, there, I have an excerpt from your book, and it's there are several new technologies that have emerged in recent years that are getting a lot of hype for their potential to disrupt the insurance industry. We've seen this before. Technologies such as telematics have been seen as revolutionary 15 years ago. While it remains a big potential disruptor, we've yet to see it fully disrupt the auto insurance sector, the way many of us imagined it would in the early 2000s. Will this time be any different or is it all the hype about insurtechs and the insurance industry equivalent to the 1990s dot-com boom 
and bust. So I read that I'm like, yeah, you know, I, cause I, I'm a little, you know, I, I know there is change coming, right? But to what degree I think is what everyone's kind of like, well, you know, what do we need to plan for? So anyway, with that, with that excerpt, like what is like, why is it different now? Like what's new? Is there, you know, new technology that, that's rolling out that makes it prime for this? Is there more money, more capital available right now? Like, what is it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes to all of those things. So, so number one is the technology piece, right? And the analogy that I use is, you know, we see it in our daily lives outside of insurance. Um, the opening of the book actually talks about a road trip that I did with my dad last uh, summer. My dad's 84 now. He was 83 at the time. Um, he lives in Texas with me, but he wanted to see his baby sister, who's actually 18 years younger and was born on the day that he graduated from high school. She lives in upstate New York on a farm kind of outside of Syracuse. And so uh, it was about a three-day drive up and a three-day drive back. And I told him, Dad, I'll take you one road trip. I'll take time off of work and I'll go. And so when I went to go pick him up, he had all these maps that he'd gotten from yeah. AAA. And he's like, oh, I got us covered. I can tell you when we cross from Missouri to Illinois, I'll throw away the Missouri map and get out the Illinois map, whatever. <laughs> and I'm looking at him like, oh, my God. Yeah, I remember doing this as a kid. Like, we would go on road trips. But, like, I haven't used a paper map in over 10 years. They're like GPS. And there's right. actually a poignant story in the book. And I, I talk about this in Keynotes as well, where on the way back, um, like, I wanted to get back. We were gone for 11 days. It was a Sunday. I was the last day to drive back. I wanted to see my wife. I wanted to see my three kids. I was starting work the very next day because I'd already taken so much time off of work. So like I had kind of a, you know, I want to get back, right? I want to go the fastest route, the most direct. And we're kind of on that border between uh, Illinois and, and uh, in the southern part of Illinois and Missouri. And, you know, I'm talking about like, I want to go through Memphis, Little Rock, Dallas, and then San Antonio. And he's like, no, I want to go through the Ozarks and Springfield and Oklahoma City on the way down. And he kept saying, well, there's too much truck traffic and there's always a lot of construction and blah, 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 this and that, right? In, in a paper <laughs> map world, right, you can look at the lines on the map and you can kind of hypothesize and say, well, I don't know, like this, this line's thicker than this and this is the double lane, but this is, you know, whatever, right? We would have this debate all yeah. day long. But like I had Google Maps, like, you know, I can tell you the Little Rock, you know, route is four hours faster, right? Currently yeah. based on real time data right now, this isn't theoretical, yeah. this is here in our, this is based on AI, right? All the, the data that they're taking in. We don't need to have this debate anymore, dad, this is four hours faster. And the fact that he like refused to believe that was still arguing with me. And it was just kind of this aha moment of like, you know, obviously it's very frustrating, but like that's us as carriers, right? We're like stuck to our paper, right? I think, you know, we, we want our paper forms and our you know, yep. digitizing dresses like, oh, put that in a PDF, right? And when you have the power of like AI and GPS like on your phone, right? And you're perfectly willing to trust GPS to take you anywhere. But yet when it comes to insurance, like we're kind of pretend like we're, yeah, getting the DeLorean and going back in time 20, 30 years. It, 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 it's time, it's coming. The other story that I tell people is um, about my daughter, who's nine, and we got Amazon Echoes in our house, right, um, uh, over Christmas. And so I use it as a very transactional way, right? Alexa, what's the temperature going to be today? What's the weather going to be? What's the spring? Yeah. Who won the basketball game last night, right? My daughter, uh, her room is right above our room, and she is having a conversation all day long. Like my wife and I, when we first got it, she's like, who is she talking to? She's like, Alexa, <laughs> tell me a joke. Alexa, tell me a bedtime story. You know, t tell, tell me, uh, play music, right? Like she has this immersive experience with Alexa mm -hmm. that is much different than me. Like I'm very transactional. I don't have to imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't ever think to ask the speaker that's in my room to tell me a bedtime story, right? But 
Right. Um, her as a nine-year-old with a child's imagination, right? Um, she is leveraging that technology in a way that I never thought possible, right? And so yeah. in many ways, it's really our failure of imagination. So this technology is there. It's coming. It's fueled by all these investors that see an opportunity in our space. And so whether we like it or not, whether we're ready to embrace the change or not, it is coming. So I don't want to be like my dad, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm holding on to my paper maps. I want to be more like my daughter that's kind of embracing technology and having this kind of, you know, uh, immersive relationship with it. So what are the, um, I mean, I guess, would you say that the auto industry or, or the auto lines of insurance are the most, I guess, at risk for disruption or for change? Or is it all encompassing, like across the board? You know, I think so. Um, you know, it's interesting because there's so much going on in the auto space, right? There's clearly the ride sharing, there's clearly autonomous vehicles. And, and so there's a lot of forces just, you know, uh, shaping transportation, right? We see all those yeah. scooters everywhere now. Um, yeah, right. And it's right. So, so, so I think mobility is kind of the, the phrase and the word that I'm hearing a lot, right? The mobility space itself is changing. And then how insurance responds to that, I think, needs to change. Now, whether it entirely goes away or not, like people are still going to get hurt. You still have liability, right? Um, it'll be very interesting, but the nature of that may may change. Um, you know, I talked with a company in Silicon Valley last week that they're like, yeah, the the the, the auto manufacturers want to basically sell you insurance. They, they, I forget the stat, but they want to say that 20% of vehicle sales um, fall through at the dealership because people are unable to get insurance at the dealer, right? And so if you're wow. an auto dealer, like you want to make sure that person gets insurance. Like you don't want that insurance to be a barrier for them driving their car off your lot, right? And so a lot of audio manufacturers are looking for basically, hey, that'll be part of your 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 loan or your monthly payment or whatever. Yeah. But they, they don't want to necessarily take on the risk themselves. They want paper behind them, right? But in that kind of world, like where's the agent, right? Like is the auto dealer the agent? No, you know, who's, right, right. I mean, it just brings up a kind of a whole, whole lot of questions. So I'm just, again, knowing that that space is going there, I do think there's more um, innovation happening all around the auto space. And so I think it'll have um, a, a similar impact on insurance. Whereas property, there's definitely more happening, but um, I don't think it's going to be as disruptive for insurance uh, right away. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually going to be more complimentary, right? So asking people what their square footage on their home, and, well, hell if I know, and oh, I'm supposed to back out the, 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 the basement, except if it's yeah, living yeah, space yeah. and the garage and all that, right? It's very confusing. So if I can just scrape a bunch of third-party data and I know that and I don't have to ask you like a bunch of questions to get a quote 30 minutes later, but I just say, is this your house? Here's a picture. Boom. I already know everything about it. Here's your quote, 30 seconds. Like, I mean, that's a world that I think all of us would like to, to live in, right? Yeah. Um, so like what, I mean, the term disruption is pretty broad. What do you think, like, are, are there specific things that you can see that are going to be affected for like, I guess, since auto insurance, there's so much around it happening, like the technology and all that, like, are there specific things that agents should really kind of be aware of? Or is there a way to insulate ourselves from all the stuff that's coming or to get ahead of the you know curve? Yeah. So, so um, when I talk with, with agents, like, it, I think there's this, like, are agents going away? Are they going to be disintermediated or whatever? I don't necessarily see it that way. I still think the value of the agent is, is there. What I see is that the agents that are embracing digital technologies, digital platforms, um, you probably know Joe Hollier, right? So he's got his insurance scramble show on, on uh, Instagram every Saturday morning. Yeah. We're doing this live on Facebook Live. Right? So there's many, and, and there's tons that I could name many, many agents that are doing 
wonders with technology and really embracing social media and technology platforms want to do business. Um, this whole idea of a digital agent, right, is, is out there in a kind of, you know, relatively new concept right in the last 10 years. Um, so I think agents that are embracing technology and injecting humans when humans do best, right, with empathy, with really understanding, mm -hmm. with making sure somebody actually has appropriate coverages, that they understand what their exposures are, and certainly they're in the, 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 the time of need, right, and, and really advise and guide them. Right, insurance is a low-touch product. Like the reason it hasn't, one reason it hasn't been disrupted very much is, this isn't like booking an airline ticket or whatever that are kind of high frequent, higher frequency transactions, right? It is a set it and forget it type of thing. And so um, it's not something that even if people read all the help texts and try to educate themselves, they'll forget, right? And, and I just think um, trust is so important and you can only digitize trust so much. Um, I think there'll always kind of be that human there. I think agents that are not adding value, right, that are stuck in a paper world, that are asked spending an hour, like, you know, having you in their office just to ask you some very basic questions yeah. where you could have pre-filled all that online before you came into the office, or maybe we don't need to do an office, we can webcam or whatever, like, those are the ones that I think are slowly going to go away just because nobody's going to want to spend that time. Nobody's want to invest in that relationship. Like it's, think about it today. Like it used to be a website 20 years ago was kind of a new and novel thing. 10 years ago, it was kind of a, um, a requirement for those that were serious. Now it's like, if you don't have a website, like, I don't know if you're a legitimate business or not. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like just a, it's like a verification almost a criminal background check in a way, right? right. To like, are you legit? Well, I'm going to see if you have a website or not. Right. So, yeah. um, that's, that's really the world I see. I think for agents that embrace, um, the new world, embrace technology, find ways to integrate with it and to make their process more efficient. And what I would say is spend less time on back office and the stuff that you don't like doing anyway. Right. And more time either client facing or, or, or trying to find prospects and stuff not like that. It's enabling you to actually do the part of your job that you probably like the best and adds the most value. If you can automate or, you know, minimize the, the, the back office stuff that you have to spend time on and be more efficient. Um, that's going to be the, the blueprint, I think, for a successful agent going forward. Do you think, um, so I don't think agents are really concerned. Well, at least, you know, most of the mid to younger agents are concerned with the new tech technology that's coming out, like, um, you know, the telematics on your phone, right. Or whatever, like all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think agents are really that concerned about it. Or, you know, like you were talking about being able to scrape a lot of data for a home and it just, you know, importing or whatever. I just don't see that being an issue or a concern for agents, but I feel like it's a company like a lemonade coming in and, just taking a ton of the business. Do you think that that is probably something that's going to happen? Do you think it's like the, the a company's going to come in as kind of like a broker and do that? Or do you think it's more of like all these products are going to come along that we as agents can use? Or do you think it's going to be both? So, um, yeah, I think that's a great question, Josh. I actually think it's a little bit of both. And, and so the analogy that I would use is... Um, Again, I talk about trust as being one of those huge barriers, right, for uh, change in the insurance industry. And so um, I think, ironically, a new company like a Lemonade uh, that maybe has a different value prop, particularly if you're th thinking about like a smart home device or IoT or like, hey, I want to be the hub of you managing and turning your lights on and your alarms and cameras by your pool, right, who's there. Yeah. Um, if there's a, a brand new kind of value prop that's much more immersive in terms of a customer experience, I actually think um, consumers are much more likely to 
be open to that from a, uh, a lemonade potentially, right? As a new company that I don't have a preconceived notion, then like a state farm or an Allstate or somebody that's known right. out there. Cause it's like, you know, I, the analogy I use is like, you've got your friends that are your, like every day you talk and then you have friends that like every two to three years, maybe you have dinner with them when they're in town. And yeah. it's that friend that you see every three years that all of a sudden wants to be your BFF texting every day that you're like, we don't have that kind of relationship. Like yeah. I want to know yeah. my carrier that well. Right. <laughs> um, so I think to the extent that, that, that maybe a new company comes in is able to build that level of trust and relationship with customers. Agents may be, um, you know, um, it threatens too heavy of a word, right? But, but maybe competition, right, for agents. But other than that, you know, assuming that the agent is well positioned to have that relationship, they're much more in that position, right, than they carry to have that relationship. So that's where I just, at the end of the day, I think finding the appropriate level of the relationship is still going to be very difficult. It's going to be different for different people. And I think agents are still in the best position to do that. Is there, any, is there anything that would be off of, I guess, anything that you are aware of or think could be coming that is kind of off people's radar. I mean, like I, I've heard of a ton of different stuff, you know, that is potential cause for concern for agents, right? Like, you know, like a lemonade or like, um, uh, autonomous cars driving around, you know, that sort of thing. There's not a need for insurance because it's provided by the company. Is there anything that is just going to be off my radar that I probably wouldn't know about? Um, the one thing I'll mention, um, cause it's very topical. So I just started as a director of innovation at, uh, AF group. Um, so we do a lot of workers' compensation. We also are in, uh, some other lines of business as well, but workers' comp is kind of the, bread uh, and I think I know what you're going to say. And so, cool. um, we've had a lot of conversations and, uh, um, both internally and externally about what's the future of workers' comp and especially the gig economy, right? So we've read stats, half of the workforce will be. Uh, gig economy workers in 2027. And so you're like, well, if that is true, you know, how is their workers comp? Like they're not really employed by an employer that's required to have workers comp. And so does that line of business go away? Like for the, you know, if they were injured, right? Like their health insurance, hopefully they have some, right? Is, is, would cover some of that, but then there's a business interruption part and lost wages that they wouldn't be covered. So I think just noodling around, like we obviously have these kind of traditional lines of business, GL, PL, right? You can name them yeah. all, BOPS, right? And I'm just wondering, and we've seen a little bit more of that blending of like personal lines and commercial lines for things like ride sharing and whatnot. And I think you're going to have more and more with some of those distinctions, um, historic distinctions that we think about in terms of our product silos are going to go away and, and needs for products, right? Cyber will go up, like maybe workers comp goes down or something. I, I think that's the balance that nobody really knows yet. And so from an agent perspective, um, you want to be very mindful of and kind of watching for. At the same time, you actually may be in um, the best position to see some of those emerging trends, right? Because of who's coming in your your door and all your, your store. Yeah. And I'll use that term broadly. Cool. I, I So I thought you were going to talk about wearables with workers comp. So, so uh, yeah. yeah, so so interesting question. So I think the huge potential, um, what's interesting about that is, so A, there's the, the tech, right? And I think um, you do- Can you explain what they are for people listening? Oh right yeah, now. sure. So, so wearables are gonna be different devices. Um, I think about like an Apple watch or we used to have like the Nike fuel band or things like that. You might have a heart yes. rate monitor, right? But there's a gazillion of those different types of devices that are monitoring all sorts of different stuff that you can use in a variety of different occupations. And so it's almost telematics for your body, right? If you wanna think right, about right. it that way, it's just monitoring your behavior all day, every day. and 
Um, maybe it senses that you have a fever and so you shouldn't be doing that heavy lifting. Maybe that elevates your rate of a heart attack or something. I don't know. I'm kind of making up that example. But, but you know, so they can intervene and you could actually have, you know, it could even be part of your loss control, control strategy as an employer, yeah. right? And as a, as a carrier, it could be part of the, the, the value props. So uh, certainly re reduce bad outcomes and actually save, you know, premium, right? Save losses, yeah. et cetera. So um, I think it could be a, a potentially huge win. You know, the downside is, A, the tech isn't where it needs to be yet, right, uh, for my wearables. Um, so I think it's still emerging, right? But I do think it will come and it will get there. Um, but, you know, now the conversations are around a little bit of some of the big brother conversations that we would have 10 years ago yeah. with telematics and stuff of like, oh, my insurance company is watching my every move at my employer right. all day, every day, right? That doesn't sound like something. And even an employer, right? You're like, well, I don't necessarily want you to have that level of detail on what my, what's going on right. in my operations, right? So um, it does bring up a lot of these kind of interesting questions. And, and what I would say on the wearable space too is that, you know, some of this is a technology you know, issues that need to be solved, but much more of them are business models. And like I said, that imagination and like, we, we all don't really know, okay, the tech is, is here or nearly here in many of these cases. But what are the implications for our world? Like there's so many different dimensions. It's kind of that, you know, five-dimensional chess that's going on. It's really hard to figure out. And, you know, yeah. my book is, um, a lot of people have said, you know, I really like your book, but you didn't give me all the answers, Rob. And I'm like, yeah, well, come on, was intention, right? <laughs> I, I, I really, I don't have all the answers. I'm surprised. I don't yeah. have a crystal ball. Uh, but it really was to simulate this thinking, right? And these types of discussions to get people really kind of thinking about this world and thinking about it now. I, I, I talk to a lot of people where, it's like, yeah, those are all great, right? We'd have a beer and have these conversations, but yeah, that's 10 years away. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to come back and I have the same job yeah. I had before. And, you know, part of the message in the book is you need to be thinking about it today, not tomorrow. Like, I think everyone's time horizon on this stuff is, is way far off. And I could be wrong on that. Maybe it really is 10 years off, but I think um, it behooves all of us to prepare as if it's going to happen tomorrow, right? And to be yeah. thinking that way, not just assume, well, how many get into retirement right before the world <laughs> radically like, changes. Right. And I don't think well, it's going to be a flip yeah. the switch overnight either. Right? right. That's the other thing. Like, um, everyone's like, well, autonomous vehicles will all be here and we'll all be driving it. That's 20 years from now. Right. And it's like, and everyone talks about the turnover of the fleet and all that. And it's like, yeah, like, okay, it won't happen tomorrow night. It's not a flip the switch, but I don't think it'll be 20 years either. I think that's a very rosy scenario. So I do think all of us need to kind of game plan and think through these things. And, and maybe, you know, for, for, for agents, um, this is a great way to kind of bring your team together and kind of talk through some of this and just have working assumptions. And maybe once every six months or once every year, if you have an annual planning session, just to kind of talk through and, and go back and look at some of your data, look if your book is changing or you're seeing some of these trends and you know, have some hypotheses or some, some strategies in place um, and, and kind of measure yourself against that. And, you know, is, is it happening the way that you thought or, you know, maybe you're ahead of the game, maybe you're behind, uh, but it's important to have a plan. Is, um, you talked a little bit, and this is something that is completely, I don't even know what it is. I've heard this term a ton and you talk about it in your book a little bit, but can you explain what blockchain is and what effect that could have? Like what would its use be in the future? Yeah. Of insurance. Question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great question, Josh. So, um, I am not even qualified to give you a dry technical answer. Uh, I used to be able to regurgitate, right? Hash functions and stuff like that. So let me, uh, you know, direct you to Wikipedia or somewhere else, right? To, for some of those more technical of kind of what it is. We know it's behind cryptocurrencies and that was kind of the initial application. But um, in essence, it is, um, uh, at, okay, so the promise is that it's, um, 
you know, in, in, in uh, unhackable kind of ledger of record, right? Um, and so okay. if I wanted to prove ownership of stuff or prove the value of something, um, there's actually a great example in the diamond industry, right? So you want to know where did this diamond come from and, and whose care was it along the way? And I want to know what mine it was and I want to make sure that they weren't using child labor, right? Or some, some, sure. some, th- some unsavory practices in terms of extracting. I don't want it to be a war diamond. I don't want it to be funding terrorism, et cetera. So like you kind of want that chain of custody all the way around into like the end user. You want to know the exact care weight and color and clarity, whatever. And then if that person sells it or whatever, and obviously if something happens to it along the way, right? Like you want to know that you actually did own it, not just, you know, um, and so um, on all sorts of, you know, bill of ladings and other stuff that you might want paperwork for, if, instead of having to get paperwork or, or having to check with all these parties, right? And we, we have so many checks and balances and verification processes. If all of that was kind of automated, that we were all on a blockchain, all these parties were talking to each other and kind of trusted all this information and didn't have to do all those checks and balances, that would remove, A, a lot of that back office work. Um, and B, obviously cut down on a lot of these expenses because all of those checks and, and, and balances in the system kind of drive up some of the um, expenses overall that, that kind of you know, go into to, to premium dollars. Um, and the other thing I will say on blockchain is um, just like there's only one internet, I think we need one blockchain and maybe a few. Like the, part of the challenge right now is that everyone's kind of creating their own private blockchain. And there may be some, some reasons for that, but it's not that different than a, a database is probably the way that we think about it today or an encrypted database, right? Um, okay. So it is kind of the more people that play on the same blockchain, it's just like, hey, we want all websites on one internet, right? It's kind of the same thing. So I think if we're able to achieve that kind of scale where we're all talking to each other on the same platform and we can all trust information that's being passed back and forth, um, you know, as an agent, if somebody's coming to you, instead of actually having to ask them all their information about their business or their property or whatnot, if you just said, send me your blockchain, right? And I know I'm getting oh, all this information and it all pre-fills and I know that that's right. I don't have to be like, gotcha. oh, you know, I drive by your place every day. It doesn't look yeah. like it's a thousand square feet. You know, it doesn't look like you only have five employees there. I saw, you know, right. 25 out in your... You know, so so um, that's really kind of that that promise of blockchain is that all this would be kind of, you know, nobody could hack into it, nobody could refine it, like it's 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 verified, it's kind of authentic, authenticated, I guess if you will, and then it mm-hmm. just passes around from party to party on whoever needs it, and it would be that person's ability. So your uh, client or prospect that comes in, right, and and they want to share it with you, they would have the basically discretion to share that blockchain with you. So you couldn't I request see. it, right? You would need their permission. And so there's this kind of idea of permission. There's also public blockchain um, that basically you could go out there, even if maybe you're prospecting and you want to get all their information to give them a quote before you even approach them, right? So I think some people have concerns with that the public sphere part. And uh-huh. I think there's kind of more people moving to this kind of permission, right? So we're all kind of on a, a same platform or similar platforms, but then there is this kind of, um, you know, you're giving me permission to use my blockchain in order to give me something of value back in return. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, I think with, with kind of the fear um, or the anxiety that exists uh, amongst insurance agents or agency owners or anyone in the industry, I think it's, I think it is because of what you've said is that it's like it, it, the technology has just not really permeated our industry. And so now that it's like kind of coming, everyone's like, oh no, what's going to happen? But you know, it happens in every other industry. It's like, we've just been insulated from it. So it's like, this is just the way things go. So you just got to like be aware of what's going on, use what you can, don't use what you don't want and just, you know, be in the know. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's, there's three approaches, right? Two of which I think could be successful. The first is what I would say, lean into it, right? To say, hey, it's coming. Let me embrace it, right? Let me figure out what I can do and be very proactive about doing it. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of examples of folks having success out there. The second one would be just ride the wave, right? So you don't necessarily need to be proactive about it, but, but, but know that it is coming, kind of have awareness, and then kind of, um, as you see it coming, kind of you know, move as the industry moves, right? The, the kind of, yeah. uh, you don't have to be an early adopter, but you kind of go with the tide. What you right. don't want to do is the, the, the opposite, right? Be the laggard and whatnot. Because I do think, um, just like the, 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 uh, the back of the roller coaster goes faster than the front, like once it kind of drags over and all your competitors are kind of out there and embracing a lot of these digital technologies and either driving you know, new kind of value chains or gaining efficiencies, right? If you're left behind, I think that could you know, be a, a rapid downfall, right? So that's where I yeah. would say that's not the area that you want to be in. So if you're not... Uh, a first mover in this space, you, that's okay. I think you just need to kind of keep pace. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can't fall too far behind because I do think for the last 20%, it's going to be painful. And those are the ones that are going to yeah. struggle. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, hey, uh, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Where can people find you if they want more info or you know, where can they pick up your book? Yeah, absolutely. So um, appreciate you having me on, Josh. Uh, the best place to go is uh, endofinsurance.com. It's got a ton of information about the book. Uh, it's sold exclusively on Amazon, so you can also look there in both paperback and Kindle version. Uh, the website's got a bunch of reviews and some you know, media and other videos. Um, and then people can definitely look for me on social media. So LinkedIn is a great place to connect and send me messages. I'm also on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, and on uh, Twitter. So Twitter handle is Rob Golb, R-O-B-G-A-L-B. Um, you can find me pretty easily on, on LinkedIn uh, and Facebook. And then uh, Instagram is actually most interesting man in insurance. Yes, it all fits into one handle. Uh, <laughs> and you can um, honestly just you know type in Rob Golb with insurance and Google search as well. And a lot of those things will pop for you. Awesome, dude. Oh, and I'll post all those in the comments and I'll put them you know, make them available to everybody. But thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. I know you don't have a ton of time. So again, really appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, Rob. Absolutely. Thanks for working with me, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rob.